Thank you for joining us for Under the Water Tower, a ministry of Fellowship Baptist located under the city water tower on Mormon Mill Road in beautiful Marble Falls, Texas. We don't just love the Bible, we love talking about the Bible and talking about how the Bible informs our life in this world. Recording here in the Fellowship Hall, the perfectly appointed Fellowship Hall with free-running coffee and water and soda, is with me. Daryl Fishbeck. You're a little slow. Sorry, I looked down. I was looking at the are computer. You, are you even listening to what I I'm saying? I am listening. So Daryl's with us. Misty Graham. Joni Wallach. I'm Jamie, and we're glad that you're here. Um, this is episode three of season two. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Did we ever decide to count the Advent stuff? I don't think we did. I think we considered that a standalone. A standalone? Well, those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we made some probably Oscar-worthy video um, in the middle of Christmas season, Advent leading up to. It was supposed to be like seven to eight minutes long, each one. It ended up being almost 20. (laughs) Three hours and 27 minutes. I blame Joni. Uh, She'd sit on the couch and just watch us, and then she'd chime in. You're not wrong. Joni's thing is, those of you who may not know her very well, um, we'll say, we're all done. Does anybody have anything to do? Oh, we're good. And then when we're done, then she'll say, but I got one more thing. (laughs) And it's usually a big one. It's always a big thing. Like, you know. (laughs) Like, Um, if you'd have said that at the beginning, we could have just shut down right away. Right, (laughs) right, right. Um, So maybe one of these days we'll put those things on as like an episode 1.5 or season 1.5. I think we didn't because they're videos. So they're on the church website and they're on YouTube still, I believe. But they're in video format. Mm -hmm. live. Shameless plug. Uh, it's not shameless. So don't don't watch those while driving. These are better for but driving. But you can still listen you can. to them. You, you can could. listen. Yeah. I mean, the video quality is not actually. Si- we blew. I don't want to <laughs> downplay it. We put we put. I mean, my, we're in it, so we put my iPhone in the corner of my study with the widest possible shot. And so Misty's little bitty anyway, and she looks like she's like the size of an ant over there. She's sitting on the couch all wadded up. She's, she's on the couch, and you just see her, you know, she's like, but for love, you know, and so. Uh, cupcakes. Cupcakes. We did change seats each week, so yeah. we, we, there's some variety in it. Yeah. We tried to show them at church, but people just talked over them. That's how, that's the quality that they were. <laughs> we would show them in the warm-up time before the worship service began at church service uh, on Sunday morning. People would just talk louder. People just talk yeah. louder. They're like. Hey, our staff's up there saying things. Oh, what's, what's wrong with them? Let me tell you about my gardenias or whatever. <laughs> but here we are uh, uh, in season two of uh, the podcast, Under the Water Tower, and we're covering Weird Moses stories. Now, as we've been doing this, today's story is one of those I have long pondered. In fact, it's been on my mind for years. Back in the day when I was in seminary, back 100,000 years ago, this passage we're going to talk about was probably one of the most preached passages around. It was trendy. It was popular. Uh, I heard almost every major preacher in North America give a shot at this. Uh, most all the time they came to seminary and preached it in chapel. So like once a week you'd get this passage in chapel, <laughs> which may be why I stopped going. Did I just admit it? <laughs> I don't think I went to a single chapel my last two 
years of seminary. How, how'd you get the credit for that? Like, that's say. required. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. at Southwestern, chapel was not required. It was mm-hmm. optional. Uh-huh. Um, mostly because all of us had work. We were all working babies and things like that. Uh, however, I, I, it's an interesting <laughs> passage. So who wants to read it for us? If you're, if you're not listening in your car and you're somewhere where you can have a Bible open, we're in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. So you'll want to, that's Exodus 17, verse 8. Who wants to read 8 through 16? Here we got, I think Joni read it last week. Daryl read the week before that. He asks who wants to read, and then he Well, I was going to suggest Misty uh, based on the read. same premise. but <laughs> Okay, all I f- right. I feel like it's Misty wants like. to. Okay, Misty will read. Um, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, can, there's so much weirdness going on in here. Um, but verse, verse 8 is, to me, beautiful. It has that epic feel. This could be the beginning of a Greek epic drama, mm-hmm. right? You have to read it. In, 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 Daryl, you're the British expert here. Uh-huh. <laughs> can, can, Not at accents. Can, can you can you read it to us in a that verse Ooh, yeah. eight in a no, British do accent? That. Do that. No, I could not. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Just give it a shot. I, no, it'll, it'll embarrass me and everyone who knows me. <laughs> I've been told enough times, don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! It would sound but so you're a epic. Rebel. Bond, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> so can you can you hear it though, like with a um, just this? Da- what's his name? David Att- Atterborough. The guy that does the the, the, the nature shows? Yes. Now that guy's he voice. read it, that would be like... Then Amalek came and fought with Ooh. Israel at Rephidim. Yes. See, and it that's not that how David Attenborough sounds, just no, FYI. <laughs> no, he's the, <laughs> the listener. He's the codgering old man. <laughs> Is that then, the guy that read the screw, the screw tape letter? On, no. Have you heard it on... No, on I've not. CD, it's all... Oh. Is it His awesome? voice is amazing. Yes, it's cool. Mm. It sounds like that. Sound like that. It's pretty cool. No, Attenborough's like that. Then Amalek came. No, is that's it? closer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Then Amalek came and fought and with Israel at Rephidim. Yeah, that sounds like Rafiki off of the Lion King. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Same guy. <laughs> oh, that's Robert Guillaume, <laughs> also known it as just, Benson. It just, it just still sounds like Rafiki. Benson. I loved that show. That was a great show. Yes. Uh, Billy Crystal. Yeah. Um, so uh, you get these names, Amalek, 
Israel Rephidim. It just sounds, it's such a brief sentence, and mm-hmm. in Hebrew it's even shorter. Uh, the verbs are tight. So if you didn't know the story, what strikes me about this verse, if you don't know the story, it sounds like two people, mm-hmm. one named Amalek and one named mm-hmm. Israel, had a one-on-one fight with each other at Rephidim, which um, we know Israel actually is a person, and so is Amalek. Both of these nations are named for specifics. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. So they're named for these people groups. And so we get the who they are, and they came to Rephidim, which is south. We, we don't exactly know where this is, but it probably is far, far more southern than the Amalekites were prone to go. So before we get into the weirdness, what's an Amalekite? And why are they so evil? Well, as you said, they're descendants of Esau. Mm-hmm. I don't know fully their history, but in some of the study notes that I was reading, and you can correct this if it's wrong, um, it just said that symbolized the, the fleshly nature of man, kind of the darker side, the good, this is the, the light versus ah, dark. Ah, you've been reading Middle Ages, <laughs> theologians. <laughs> <laughs> Rafiki say. <laughs> So I have a great point later if that's accurate, but that's <laughs> if that's inaccurate, then my my whole theory is shot. <laughs> well, it's not it's not inaccurate. It's just uh, it represents an interpret. It shows the the weirdness of the text that to interpret it, you've got to go to that place that says Amalek mm-hmm. represents this. evil, mm-hmm. just, right. just just evil fleshly relentless. nature. Weren't they just a relentless tribe? Um, uh, to some aspects, they yeah. were. Um, one of the things that um, m- my understanding is the Amalekites were um, brigands. Uh, they were uh, bandits, mm. and they were known for, you know, basically beating up people, leaving them on the side of the road, taking all their stuff. Their stuff. Uh, land pirates kind of thing. And that makes me wonder if by the time that Moses and the Israelites are dealing with them, maybe they're not so much a genetic people group as they are a title used to describe anybody who is a bandit. Scallywags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that changes the nature. Just all the things that the Lord says about them here, it now becomes less about genocide, although genocide is one of the uncomfortable weirdnesses of this passage. It becomes less about that and more about a policing action, that mm-hmm. we're going to protect our folks by getting rid of those who are bandits on the road um, and who harass people. Now, that's uh, you've got to go a long way down the rabbit hole to get to that hermeneutic, but that is a possibility of what's going on here. So what's your fleshly point? Uh, well, it'll tie into kind of the rest fleshly of the story. Th- the rest of the story. <laughs> so let's carry on some more, and I'll, I'll see where it fits in better. So it's, more, it's more of a concluding thought than anything. <laughs> Circle back around to that. <laughs> so the the Joni, what do you what what's weird to you about this? I got like nine different weird things I got going on here. What's one one thing that's weird about it to you? Just that their their evilness it was weird to me. Just you know that this is Th- who's like they the the Amalaks. Just their you're looking at me really strange. I'm trying to think of what they did evil in this. I don't know. So, because the passage is so if vague. If they're going to be wiped out, like... Well, we, we have the Lord's pronunciation that they should be wiped out, but at the same time, we have the Lord's pronunciation when I fight for them from generation to generation, right. which seems paradoxical. 
if we're going to wipe them out, there's no one to fight with from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about that, too. Like, is it a wipeout, like, uh, the (laughs) canine? Sorry. We just lost two of our (laughs) listeners right there. Sorry. (laughs) There were only two to begin with. Two minus two. Sorry, Greg. Hi, Greg. Hi, Kelly. Can you hear me, Greg? (laughs) Um, But wasn't it like when they wiped out the Canaanites, like they weren't totally wiped out? So it was kind of a... Well, I can make a a strong argument they never did wipe out the Canaanites. Exactly. Because then later they talk about the Canaanites. So I'm like, is this the same way where they're not totally wiped out? Well, the Malachites are there through and through. I mean, they never never really go away. So, yeah, I don't know. There's lots of I don't know. It's in my head right now. So this (laughs) is where you get the interpretation that Daryl's talking about, that the Malachites are symbolic of the flesh because we must completely eradicate our fleshly hindrances, put lay aside the flesh. However, we're never really free of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the, that interpretation mm-hmm. comes from. That, um, and if, if the view is that the Amalekites becomes a, a byword for bandits uh, on the road, well, then you may get rid of all these bandits, but then next mm-hmm. month you have new bandits that come up. And how they um, catch them off guard. You know, it says this is the, the first battle that the Israelites come under, and they're just totally caught off guard by that. And how quickly are we caught off guard by things that, you know, come at us out of nowhere? Of course, to God, it's not, you know, it's planned, but here they are thinking, you know, they're already upset because they have no water, and they're complaining, and they're griping, and now they go to bed, and boom, they're getting attacked. I almost was like, this is what you get for complaining. (laughs) (laughs) The, the thing that really bothered me was if Moses is getting tired, why did they bring him a rock to sit on? Is there not, so, you know, something <laughs> a little softer? Than I'm thinking, I'm tired and now i got to sit down on a rock. Could you not bring me a bush or something that's a, a little softer? A burning bush. The, the role of Moses will be now be played by Charlie Brown. <laughs> What'd you get from your friends for Halloween? I got a rock. <laughs> so... Okay, so let's talk about this for a moment. Let's let's do the, the the actual nuts and bolts of what the story is. So, how does the story start? It starts with this grand overview, right? Amalek came down and fought with Israel at Rephidim. In, in a Lord of the Rings background music. And do we really think these are yeah. the grand? Like, do we really think this is from Esau's descendants, or do we think this is? Not. What do you think? I mean, there, this, th- we have the text that's before us. It says Amalekites. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. They are a people group, but uh, at the same time, that people group did certain things that began to be used to describe lots of other people as All well. All peoples that do that. Um, it'd be kind of like saying the, the Spillman clan and who would y'all... So Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> who would y'all? There, there are so many stereotypes and things you could have said <laughs> when you started what? trying to give an example. You have no idea how my heart <laughs> leapt within me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to shut that down. Uh, but it's not. It's not a new modern innovation to make derogatory generalizations about a people group mm-hmm. and then to use that to describe anyone who behaves in such ways. And, and for clarification, I was not being derogatory to the Spielman. I was, it was characterizing a clan, uh, the family we joke with Joni about. Um, 
the com what do you, what do you the com compound. compound out <laughs> there, and it, and it's so it's you're all connected in that way. So we have the backpedal, backpedal. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case if any of you are listening, um, the Amalek comes all the way down. Now, one of the discussions about why they came all the way down and the narrative aspect of this is they were particularly targeting Israel at a time of weakness. Mm -hmm. They'd had uh, just enough time to be isolated, gotten far enough away from Pharaoh that they were at their most vulnerable, and here comes the attack. Mm -hmm. And it says that Moses makes who the, the general? Joshua. Joshua. And, I, and this is an important moment for Joshua, um, and, uh, and, and his name is significant in this in so many ways. He says, choose for us men and go out and fight with them. So there is no army, and this is a, a demarcation of, of the Old Testament, the Holy War. There is no dedicated, uh, these are our soldiers over here. It is, Joshua, you're it. <laughs> go pick your team, right? And so you kind of imagine Joshua's like, he's got all the men standing around, and he's like, well, I'll take... For my first pick, I'll take you, <laughs> like, like, like the basketball team at, at the playground. And there's this short, fat kid over here. He's like, pick me, pick me. And Joshua's like, no, I don't think so. That was me. That's her. You're going to have to go up there and help Moses tomorrow. So he picks his um, um, soldiers. And then what happens? Hey. <laughs> okay. We all stopped and looked. I needed to make some noise there. So we're still here, by the way. Okay. Everybody's reading their can notes. Can I say something right quick before yes. you move on? I don't have um, anything to say. I was just <laughs> filling the dead air. Well, I was trying to read. It's hard to read to keep your mouth on the microphone. I have my glasses on and to look at my Bible. So I was trying to find out exactly where I was. Multitask, Miss B. Multitask. I don't do good at that. But I just think it's awesome how quickly Moses had a plan, you know, Um he calls Joshua. He, he sees what's going on. He calls Joshua, and he says, okay, you go find these men. I mean, he didn't have to let me talk to God first and see what I need to do, and then let me get back with you. And he didn't flip out like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? Or to me, anyway, this is the way I read it. It's just like it's, it's a quick decision, and um, he's just he's going with it. And I thought that was neat how he has a, a plan first, and he's not just saying, okay, y'all figure it out. I'll be over here and let me know what happens. He does say, but, though, I'm going to be on the top of that hill over there. Right, but he's, he's not going in with Far them. away from the danger. Far away. Right. <laughs> but he he has a plan because he is the leader. You know, mm -hmm. he is in charge, and he knows that. So I think it's cool how he, um, you know, doesn't, because before he's kind of, and not that he's completely okay with it still at this point, but I think he's getting better at trusting God and knowing, okay, this is this is on me. I got to figure something out right quick. And then he goes up to pray. I think I think there's some significance to that, and that is the um, the he has a plan, and his plan is not nuts and bolts. I mean, it's a very loose plan. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna go up here on the hill. You pick some guys, and then we'll fight them in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, get a good night's rest. Probably going to die tomorrow, mm -hmm. but get a good night's rest. Um, but his plan is based on people. And the more I read the New Testament, especially, God's leadership plan for the church is never based upon what your skill set is. Mm -hmm. It's your characteristics. It's your uh, attributes. It's your qualities, your spirituality. Those are the things that matter. And so our plans, we, we, especially we in the uh, evangelical side of things, 
we tend to get really wrapped up in our strategies, our methodologies, mm-hmm. our plans, and we want to uh, bring people onto our team who can be a real asset because of what they know or can Synergy. do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's some churches out there right now that had like this five-year plan, and they're like, what just happened in 2020? <laughs> 2020. <laughs> put a pin in that. 2021 ain't going much no, better no, so it's far. Not, but I mean, I'm beginning to think, have I told you my theory about the Mayans? No. Yeah. So, 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 so you're just saying yes because you don't want to hear <laughs> no, it again. No, it's about the calendar being <laughs> off yeah, or yeah. something like that. The Mayans. I have this theory. So the Mayans predicted in 2012 the world was going to end. Remember? Oh, mm-hmm. I think they were dyslexic. It's 2021. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, Moses, and I'm just going to say this right quick because I know I don't want to be the only one talking. But Moses, I mean, he had to distance himself, like Joni said, because with all this stuff going on, you know, like I said before, he's got all the 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 people complaining and griping and then he's got all this other stuff going on and you know he had to distance himself so that he could go to the Lord in prayer and just so you don't get wrapped up in that you know we had a conversation the other day you know Daryl had to excuse himself to his room because he had a lot of things going on and he just needed to provide some space there and I feel like that's kind of where Moses is at here you know he's got to get some perspective instead of falling into what everybody else is doing. Mm. Well, and would it be safe to say, too, that the context here is <clears throat> these aren't highly organized militaries right. of people groups. These yeah. are more like just clans that yes. are scrapping. Trying to figure it out. And and I want to come back to that issue real fast. Who? How many are fighting? Because mm-hmm. mm. we have, again, you saw mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier. We have the Battle of Helm's Deep in our mind. Right. That's what we see are huge armies coming. Mm-hmm. Now, there may have been a million people by the census that uh, Israel had with them when they left and when they arrived uh, into the Promised Land. Th- I don't debate those numbers at all, but it doesn't say he took every fighting man with him. He went and picked Chose. what? Some, mm-hmm. right? It, this could be a couple of hundred people, and they fight all day. It's more hand, like West Side Story, hand, <laughs> <laughs> or the gunfight at the OK Corral, or um, the laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically, <laughs> um, and it was probably some sort of ritualized thing with s- specific. Um, you do this then, we do this then, this is how it begins. The, these people groups had a way of doing things. They weren't, they weren't completely off, off um, calendar. So it was maybe a couple hundred people down in the valley fighting for a while, and, hey, it's, it's uh, time for second breakfast, or <laughs> it's tea time, or, hey, how about a break? You know, we don't know how it went. Um, we, we just know that there was a, a fight, there was a battle. So... We got that going on. Uh, well, somehow we got away from where Misty was at with what you were talking about. What was mm-hmm. it? How Moses had to separate himself. Yeah, from that. Mm-hmm, from everything from going on. From the chaos, from yeah. the stuff. Yeah, I totally get that. So what does he do? So Joshua goes down to the valley to fight the troops of uh, Amalek, the Malachites. What does Moses do? They go up the top of the hill. On top <coughs> of the hill. Now, we don't know what hill. We really don't know where mm-hmm. this took place. Or even how long of a span this was from the time that they start to fight to the time that he goes up on the hill. Could that have been days or weeks? Or do you read it like this is kind of a 24-hour period? It feels like a, it feels like a one day, like a 24-hour period. Um, he goes up on the hill. 
And so verse 11, what's the thing? What's, what's the key thing that gets us hung up? The weird thing, number one, maybe. Well, while his hands are in the air, Israel is winning, and whenever they get lowered, um, Amalek begins to, I guess, succeed somehow. Um, I don't know how they're gauging this, but hands up, we're winning. Mm-hmm. Hands down, we're losing. See, this feels strange to me. I, you can't see me in the podcast, but as I'm, I'm raising <laughs> my hands. Like, touchdown, Tom Brady. Hands mm-hmm. down, I'm going to land the plane on the flight deck. Um, it's That just feels so odd. It's, it's an odd thing uh, at first glance to think through, especially if he's on the hill. The people down below probably can't see very much. Maybe they can mm-hmm. see. Uh, he's got the staff in his hand. Well, if he could see them and see who was winning, they could probably see him. But, but see, that's what gives it the... Um, <laughs> the Monty Python skit yeah. feel to it. Mm-hmm. There are people down there fighting. Oh, look, Moses. There goes the British accent again. <laughs> His hands are in the air. His hands are in the air. We can't possibly we lose victorious. now. And so they go victorious. Ah, off with your head. Oh, out of here. And then his hands go down. Oh, no, we're doomed. Just lay down and die. Run me through with your sword it's now. His hands are down. You know, it's that kind of thing. It just lends itself. It's so uh, almost arbitrary. Like, if you know that's what's happening at some point when Moses' hands go down. Oh, this is, this is it. We're done, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking retreat, my, retreat. I'm taking my coffee break now because, you know, he's his hands are down. I'm waiting until his hands come back up. Um, Do you think he was, like, testing them, too? Like, let's see, let's see, let's see. <gasps> like red light, green light here. Yeah. Red light, green light. Simon red says light. hands up. <laughs> uh, see, it's, so, it's such a strange thing. And so his hands are up, but what happens? Because invariably, he's he tired. tired. He's human. Some uh, early commentators have this pointed to the fact that, that, well, Moses is 80 years old. He's old, <laughs> yeah. But I would like to point out, if I hold my hands up for more than 30 seconds, I begin to, I'm like, for crying yeah. out loud. This yeah. is hurts. Let's yeah. start hard- holding our hands up now and see who puts them down last. Ready, go. I give up. <laughs> <laughs> Run me through with your sword already. I don't have enough energy for this, <laughs> you know. Um, there's just the... I don't feel like he, it's a failing in Moses because I mean, I've been in church youth camp where you're supposed to have your hands up it's, during song time. I mean, it's like this Pentecostals must have huge <laughs> triceps. <laughs> is this literal? Is this symbolic? Is it the way it was passed down orally until it got written down? Is it is it something to do with the way the story was was shared? I mean, is well, that who, a posture of prayer? Is that a posture? Let's let, let's get through the story first, because so far we, you've mentioned prayer and you've mentioned prayer, but you know who hasn't mentioned prayer? Moses. Keep going though. So Moses grows weary, and this is where you talk. <laughs> let's get a stone. Oh, man, where's my pillow? <laughs> where's the my pillow guy when you need him, right? <laughs> so get a stone, and he sits. So apparently, whatever the hand thing is. It's not about the how high mm. the hands are, because when you're sitting, your hands aren't that high. Mm-hmm. It's not about height. So it's okay to sit with your hands up, but you can't stand with your hands Damn. down. Yeah. That, that's, I, I'm sorry <laughs> if, if someone out there thinks this is unspiritual <laughs> or I don't trust the Lord enough. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I do trust the Lord. That's strange. <laughs> But does um, anything God does, does it make sense? I mean, you know, if it doesn't make sense, then 
you know, it probably is God. I think there's some truth in that. If I can figure it out, it ain't God. It's not God, yeah. Um, which that applies to a lot of things in life. Yes. But this is just so overwhelmingly strange. It's crazy. So I'm like, Joni, what happens when, you know, they're up high, but they start to fade down, and they're not quite up, and they're not quite down? <laughs> uh, does that mean... Does that mean that we're on it's a, timeout? It's a draw, right? No one's winning. Mm-hmm. It's a, a, a tie. So what's the solution? They get the stone, but that still doesn't. Stone helps him <laughs> sit down. It doesn't <laughs> help his hands. What's the solution? Aaron and her hold his hands up while he's sitting. Who are these guys? Who's Aaron and her? Aaron's his older brother. Uh huh. His co-leader. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So makes. Makes sense for Aaron to be up on the the hill. Aaron's the one who was with Moses when he went before Pharaoh. All of the challenges, the one that God and pointed so Moses out. Moses is eighty. Aaron's like eighty three or something. And he like <laughs> right. eighty four. He's older than mm-hmm. him. So now the older Moses. older guy. <laughs> yeah, we had to rescue you and put you in a basket. You just you just, you just me. So now you got so now you got Moses is. Uh, Hold my hand up. And Aaron's like, what? <laughs> hold my hand up. I'm not holding your hand. You know, <laughs> Can't hold my own up. Now I got to hold yours up. So, see, two old guys. So, but her, this is, I believe, the first mention of her in the scriptures. Is it also the first mention of Joseph? Joshua, sorry. Joshua. I was like, I didn't see I Joseph. So. It yeah. may be the first mention of Joshua. Joshua. Um, the, uh, I mean, he's obviously been there uh, historically with him, but it's the first mention of him. the. But but her, who is he, right? Um, he is her. He's <laughs> he's the grand. I have the grandfather of Bezalel. Bezalel. I can't say it. But the, the temple guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle B. Uh, the <laughs> he is connected lineage line to the person who was filled with the spirit and and oversaw the construction of the temple. Tem- yeah. Um, some speculation is that he is Miriam's husband. Yeah. I believe that is found in Talmud or Mishnah or something, um, which now we have a type. This isn't just leadership. This is family. Mm -hmm. Right. right? So Moses is up on the hill with his family. Joshua's down there and they hold the hands. And so, um... But they don't get tired. Moses gets tired, but they don't get tired of holding his hands. I have that on my notes exactly. Mm-hmm. At some point, do we have a train now of people? Well, that's what down? I was saying. Aaron's older than him, and he's now holding up Moses' mm-hmm. hands. So why isn't the solution this? Moses holds his hands up for a while. Okay, I'm done. Aaron, you come hold your hands up. Because that's not what the Lord commanded. But that makes more sense. It does. But it shows Moses' obedience. I've, I've often thought that, um, so th- this may be about leadership more mm-hmm. than anything else. And so when Moses is tired, he gets help instead of just gets replaced. I've often thought that maybe we need the volleyball method of leadership. Like, what if you like to like five presidents instead of one? And the person serves till he messes up, and then you rotate. <laughs> Next, <laughs> um, but you have the the leadership thing here. So they're holding his hands, and eventually they win. Um, 
And what determines a win? Where, when do they get the big W on the board? How would you answer that? I, I would say when the people have died, but then we know that Amalaks continue. So, or w- maybe they retreat. They're like, okay, not we only up. that, we don't have a body count here. Right. Sometimes the Bible gives you a body count, like forty people were killed mm-hmm. or a hundred people were killed, and you'll certainly get that with Joshua in the conquest. They'll tell you almost exactly how many people mm-hmm. were killed. We get no. It doesn't say all of them were killed. It just says he overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Well, and if you think of David and Goliath, it just took one. But because so much was riding on that one person, it affected the whole outcome. And so maybe there was a tipping point in mm-hmm. who was who was killed or who the leader gave up or whatever. Which is the nature of ancient warfare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I say Amalek may have come down and challenged them. It could have just been... 25, 30 people out there fighting representatively of the group. Mm -hmm. And maybe they victory when the leader was killed, when more than half were killed, when you got an unfair advantage, or just when they gave out and left. Maybe Mm -hmm. the Malachites were the ones who forced the issue. It could have been when they left. Lost the battle, but not the war, so to speak. I just want to emphasize, we always read huge numbers of people into these, but... um, not the same basic idea. Remember, Abraham fielded an army his own self to go rescue Lot from one of his mm-hmm. exploits, mm-hmm. and it's like 180 people. It's it's not a huge no, and that's an army. 180. That's we could have that meeting on church on Sunday mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Um, and when you're talking, did you say they had the Israelites had like a million people going with them? Is well. The actual number of how many people left Egypt and how many came into the promised land has always been an issue of great debate. The book of Numbers gives us <laughs> numbers, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it comes out to about a million people, and I have no reason to debate that. One of the questions, though, is did they p- pick up people along the way? Mm-hmm. How many left, and they all leave at the same time? There's been mi- m- a lot of discussion about multiple exoduses mm-hmm. um, that they kind of pick up f- stragglers because you know how m- a migrant train does that. It once people strike out to leave, they begin to pick up people, and we don't know how many were actually Hebrew by the time they got to the Promised Land. Mm-hmm. And judging by the way they behaved en route, oh, a lot of them don't act very Hebrew. Well, and when they get there too, mm-hmm. yeah, there's problems. There's Lots of problems. I'm glad we're p- perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad this was Moses' problem and not mine. <laughs> so you get to the, they, they hold up the hands, they win. We don't know how they mark the win. And then that's when God kind of starts saying sh- interesting things. God tells him two things. What does he say? He says to write it as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalek from under heaven, which is interesting. Right. So write it in a book and make sure Joshua knows it. Why would Joshua need to know this information? Because he's the next leader. He's going to be, yeah. And it just doesn't show, this story doesn't just show Moses as being the chosen leader. I mean, it's also a, a story of Joshua being courageous as well as Moses. Hold that thought, because some people will say that the real hero here is Joshua. Um, hold that thought, because you're a couple of times you've been close to where uh, maybe some significant aspects to this is. Um, 
And then so we have this, um, this uh, promise to uh, abolish and annihilate the Amalekites for every generation. And then Moses does what? He builds something. Altar. An altar. This is a very Old Testament patriarch thing to do, um, to build an altar where you experience the Lord, and he names it. He Which names it, perhaps, I'm, I have bias against this. What does he name it? The Lord, the Lord is, is my banner. banner. Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. And thus was born the worst idea in the modern <laughs> church. <laughs> church movement. Banner. Church banners. <laughs> Anyone here, any of you ever been in a church yep. that was just, just completely engulfed with banner ministry? Yeah, but banner can be too... Two different things. It can be the literal banner, but then the banner of which you live your life by is what I apply to that. I like yours better because yours does not involve really bad felt letters Material. against the silver yeah. satin exactly. with purple and gold. Yeah. And what color is Sequence. that? And then you have to have the, you know, we're going to have the, they take the banners off the wall and march around the... <laughs> parking lot of the Dairy Queen and claim this town for Jesus and it's just the worst ideas in the Maybe whole world. They're looking for Jesus too. <laughs> they're looking for Jesus. Um, when they're holding their banners high. <laughs> hold their banners and, and you gotta get to hold it up and it was a great honor. I mean we we'd have like worship services in the church I grew up in where they'd bring the banners down the aisles yes. during church service and it's a big huge deal and yep. the Lord our banner I'm like I don't. I remember thinking. Change them out for Christmas too. You, exactly. you, had, a, a, you had the Easter banners and the Christmas banners and, and the, the regular season banners. banners. Yes. And there's communion banner. I remember the the cup and the the wafer banner. The cup with a little niche in it, like <laughs> little, the little. Well, yeah. is there is there any connection here to? I mean, there's when always we a, think there's always a connection. When we think of a banner, <laughs> seven we, degrees we, of Kevin Bacon at church. <laughs> we think of exactly what we're talking about. This thing that's held up, a standard, something that's in the air. Um, I don't know if that's exactly the, the language translates to that, but if you think of a banner as something that's in the air and Moses is holding his hands up in the air, is there some profound theological connection with all of that, or am I just grasping at straws? <laughs> there is a, a connection has been made. In fact, I think a better connection to this is the idea of something in the air lifted up that has a victorious healing healing aspects to it. Another strange story we're going to come to is the, the serpent, yeah, was just which is also lifted up. And as Christ followers, well, you remember that the cross was lifted up. So this gives us to what's a banner. Mm -hmm. Moses did not have in mind the gold lame right. that you know has all the names of Jesus on it or the, all the names of God on it uh, written out and paraded around at Vacation Bible School. Oh. Uh, the word probably just means stick, staff, mm -hmm. um, pole, mm -hmm. uh, most commonly used as the mast on a ship, right? So this is uh, something, and it probably means, it doesn't say in the text, but most, especially ancient interpreters, took it to mean he didn't just have his hands up like this, He's holding the staff. So I was going to say he had to lift that. For other things that right. God had him do, he had to lift that staff up. Because it says at the very beginning, he, um, he took his staff, Raise the his staff, staff of God, in in my hand. Right? So probably we have this image of Moses standing with palms stretched out upward. Mm -hmm. 
it's probably he's holding the staff either, you know, with two hands uh, in a, a horizontal way or maybe mm-hmm. vertical like uh, and I, you guys can't see on the podcast, but I'm holding it like this where it's a, an upward. And, and if that's the case, then maybe that's a, a symbol or a sign down below for certain military activities, well, when a you signal. Think, when you think of something like that, it's a, it's a unifying um, object. Whether you think of like a logo for your sports team, or say everyone's wearing the jersey, or um, if you go to the Capitol a month ago and you think of the things that were happening, there were banners. There was there was something that represented what these people were were under, uh, so to speak. What was their motivation? And, and so, flag's not a bad representation. I would go positive instead of negative. Um, um, so, like in the Civil War. You'd mm-hmm. have the flag bearer almost always certainly going to die. They're going to mm-hmm. shoot that guy first to knock the flag down to the opposing. It was like the bravest thing in the world to carry the flag of the United States into battle during the Civil War. And, you know, I've never fought in a war or a battle, and I cannot fathom the amount of um, anxiety and stress and, and just a symbol, a flag bearer carrying it you know, whether he's shot down or whether he continues to fight, I could see that that would create a lot of adrenaline or emotional um, positive or negative one way or the other. So I could see an, an incredible, um, um, I guess, emotional connection to it in some regards. The, so some aspect of this could just be that, that the people down below, they look up, they see Moses and his strength and energy in holding the staff up like a flag bearer in warfare to rally around could be what we're talking about here in terms of the impetus of it. So that may be why he names it the Lord is my banner because that's what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. holding the staff up as a banner before the Lord. And then the last, the last line here, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. Um, there's no other way to interpret that as Moses saying, what I have done is I have touched heaven. My hand has reached up and touched heaven. That's poetic. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that gives me spiritual, ooh. <laughs> what's the, what's the famous artwork? The, the, the Michelangelo's yeah, Sistine that's, Chapel? That's what I'm thinking of, the touching... Hmm. Just vi- in a, is a visual when you said it touched he- heaven. That that was the. Image That's one that of my favorite <laughs> images of so many things. So like there, when Michelangelo paints that, um, never mind the blasphemy of painting what God looks like, but just the, <laughs> the hands, the fingers don't touch. Mm-hmm. There's a gap there, and I've always thought that is where the preacher stands. The preacher stands in that gap, um, <laughs> to to bring this is what the Lord says to people and to stand in, to be a, a person who stands in that gap between God mm-hmm. and man, which ultimately is fulfilled by Christ, but we are following Christ. Well, I think as he's lifting his hands up, this is kind of where I was going earlier, there, there's this symbolicness of dependence. Um, it's not in our power, but I'm, I'm symbolically holding my hands up. Um, and I don't know if God told him to do that, or he figured out to do it, or whatever. But there's a, there's a, a dependence, and in dependence, there's surrender and humility, and, and there's all of those things. And so, if you come back to 
the Amalek being representative of <clears throat> Esau's line and flesh and the nature of man or the sinfulness or, or even, I like to use the word, ego. Um, the ego isn't always good or bad per se, but it's, it's very self-protective and it's and very self-promoting. Mm-hmm. And um, in order to overcome our egos, if you will, or our flesh, there's, there's, a, there's uh, surrender. Mm-hmm. There's I am giving up my dependence on myself and placing it in somebody else's. I'm being, we use the word vulnerable um, not too long ago. Um, I'm choosing to be vulnerable and let someone else have the, the lead, so to speak. And, and that's kind of what I, I see with some of this is Moses' hands are sim- symbolic of when they're in the air, the standards in the air. Um, it represents the inner battle, if you will, in man. Mm-hmm. And the, the more I'm humble and, and surrendered, the more I, I'm, my spirit is beating mm-hmm. my flesh. But then when I put my hands down and I try and get them busy doing my own things and figuring out life on my own, then the flesh kind of takes over. And it's like this inner, mm-hmm. inner battle back and forth. No, that's just where my brain went. And it, sh- and it shows, you're right, it, the, the power of who God is. And, you know, Moses stayed persistent through that whole thing, even when it, it would have been easier for him to just shut down because he's tired, he's old, he's hurting, he's just... But then to do things within ourselves, you know, we're never going to succeed and we're never going to... You might prosper, but are you going to prosper in God's will and God's way? And... um I think that a lot is what you're talking about. Well, what he surrender too is is exhausting because yes. we want to always be doing. Yes. Well, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, sit, be still, wait, let God yeah. do something. Mm-hmm. No, give me something else to do while right. I'm waiting. And just sitting and enduring, kind of like we are in this season of COVID, is hard because we want we want to be moving, we want mm-hmm. to be doing. God may be saying, I want you to sit and listen and trust me or let me. Well, let's think about this from a because vulnerability is important. Um, how different is this than the Red Sea experience? It's dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the Red Sea, the people literally stood there and watched God defeat all their enemies for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not figuratively, literally, yeah, literally right. drowned mm-hmm. them um, and, and, and held off and secured the rear guard so they could make the escape and then killed them all. But here, Leadership is called to go up on the mountain, on the hill. Others are called to actually go down and fight. I mean, some of them might be thinking, wait, what? I thought God was going to fight our battles for mm-hmm. us. What happened to that? What happened to the part where God just kills them? Why doesn't God just, have you heard this one before? Why doesn't God just come down and kill all the Amalekites for us? If God wants them dead, it's on him, not us. Mm-hmm. Why are we having to do this? I think you hear that too. Like if um, I've had friends that have gotten cancer and well, why doesn't God just take away cancer, take it completely away? Um, and I think some of those things you go through, they grow you. But, um, I think it's interesting, um, with Aaron and her, it just, it reminds me of how much we need other people, um, helping us. So for for you, is that the key lesson here? Cause I, I want to, I, we have, we've gotten far away from where I thought we were going to be, which is good. One of the, I, t- I started this podcast by talking about when I heard this preached so many times uh, in my uh, early life. Almost every time it was preached, it came back to two things. Moses was praying 
on the mountain, mm. on the hill, for the people below. And you can imagine the seminary environment, how that gets interpreted. Mm. You're the pastor. Your job is not to fight. Your job is to pray for everyone. And then you need helpers to help you, your, um, your um, entourage mm -hmm. who are there to hold your hands for you. Uh, so it gets preached as prayer and prayer team. Mm -hmm. The problem with both of them, uh, the helper thing I think works. That, that I think definitely, however else you read, whatever else is going on, they came, they might not have been much help bringing, hey, we brought you this lumpy rock. <laughs> they might not have been much help, <laughs> but they were help. I'm not certain the prayer motif works. I, I can't read in here where it says Moses was praying mm -hmm. on the hill. Mm -hmm. Moses was holding his hands up, holding a staff up maybe. Well, he was listening. I think he was listening to what God was telling him to do. So in listening, can't that be... I know prayer is a conversation, but if God's telling him to do that, then that is a type of prayer. Well, I, I, I'm not going to argue that God did not talk to Moses and Moses didn't listen. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But the takeaway is but, not but that I think this is all about prayer. To turn this into a discussion that is about prayer oh, yeah. is to miss... I don't know. I don't think that's that's not what I got out of okay. it. Well, then we agree. Okay. We're sympathetic. I was like, yay! <laughs> me and Misty agree. I don't have to slay her with the sword before sunset. <laughs> Please uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> it also reminds me of being a part of the body of Christ because we're not all called to do the same the mm -hmm. same thing. Mm -hmm. Like Moses wasn't called to be down there on the field. But like, it, if it is about leadership, mm -hmm. the Misty earlier mentioned the previous stuff. So what happens right before? Let's try literary criticism to the rescue. So what happens right before this section? The water and the rock. This horrible situation where the people are grumbling and complaining. You brought us out here to. You can, almost, you can hear them. <laughs> Edgar G. Robinson. Where is your Moses now? Where is your Messiah you now? Know, you brought feel, us out here. As I was reading that, it makes me feel like where we're at now. You know, there's no water. Everybody's just complaining and Somebody arguing and just mad and hateful and blame. Yeah, blaming and it just, I just it, so much of this I could feel. Well, and know? they named it right. Yeah, Masa and Meribah, right. bitter and quarreling. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the year 2020, 2021, <laughs> Moses. Uh, so, so that's there. A great leadership challenge mm -hmm. where people are quarreling. You've made the wrong decisions. You brought us here. We have no cucumbers or leeks. What's This is terrible. So you have this story. And then right behind it, Jethro rides out and says, Moses, you're killing yourself. You can't be, you can't be doing judgments from, from sun up to sundown. You've got to delegate some stuff out. It's all, all of this is Moses as the leader. And so they seem to be highlighting this progression where Moses mm. is um, taking the blunt, quarreling, bitterness. It's all focused at Moses. When the war comes or the battle, he has Aaron and her with him. Jethro, another advice, another family member, right? Mm -hmm. It's all in the family, shows up and says, you need to delegate. Boy, you need to delegate. <laughs> and so that seems to be... Uh, 
a progression here of taking all the burden off of Moses onto other people. It's a, it's a slow progression, mm-hmm. but that could be the motif here. Mm-hmm. Well, based on those two two bookends, then this becomes that transition point almost, where he's holding his hands up, they're winning, puts them down, they're losing. He can't do it. He gets help. Yeah, you know, so you got the rock situation before. Um, was trying to do it all himself, and then Jethro going ahead and reinforcing. Do you, do you see how they helped you hold your arms up? You can't do it all on your own. Um, here's here's some strategy. Maybe it's a it's 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 that pivotal point. Um, yeah, of where he begins to, mm-hmm. especially when you remember, you believe as I believe Moses is the one who puts this material together. Mm-hmm. So he may be giving us clues to his progression as a leader. Um, the, I took all the. I took all the hit at Maribel, my own. It was it was it was brutal. Uh, people get angry emails. There's no water to drink. My child has parched lips. This mask doesn't fit right. I'm not gonna sit six feet apart from anybody. It's and 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 uh, this is just terrible. What have you done to us? You made foolish decisions. And then we had the war, and it was tough. And I'm too old to go fight. I asked Joshua to go down and pick some guys. I didn't know how it was gonna work out. My hands you need were a up. stutter. That, I'm not, that's, no, no, no. Um, well, that's what it says. He couldn't talk well. Well, <laughs> and so Aaron and her held my hands up, and I learned something. Maybe I learned something there, Moses is saying, that I could not keep my hands up. I couldn't. And then by the time Jethro comes out and tells me how things roll, I figured some stuff out. I'm I'm the leader, but I'm not the key doer. I mm-hmm. need to have other people that can present prevent some of that. Gr- mm-hmm. Let them grumble about the third level judge who only has 50 people in front of him instead yeah. of me, you know, yeah. um, that kind of thing. I, that could be a really good hermeneutic on the mm-hmm. best way of understanding this. But that doesn't get us out of the fix. So with Am- those poor Amalekites, does God condone genocide in this text? And how do you handle that? Because mm-hmm. if you don't handle it, if you don't deal with it here, you're going to get it in Joshua. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I don't believe he does. So what does he do? I believe he just, like, they win that battle. But it says that they're going to have war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. So I th- I think they know who God is, but they're, they're not submissive to him. Mm. They know who God is, but they're not submissive to him. Do you perceive that... Um, that the Amalekites have a greater representation in our life. So what, what you do is, with, with genocide, these things, it's either A, symbolic, not to be taken literally, mm-hmm. it didn't really happen, or B, it was a one-time thing for the purification of the land. Right. Those are really your only options in handling why God hates the Amalekites. I mean... These people are on God's list, and it looks like they're number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so which one do you hold to, Joni? I hold more to the symbolic one. So I y- feel like God wants us to love him, and they're symbolic of the things that come between us and God. Because That seems more comforting to us because when we look at the whole total of the Scriptures— this bloodshed, this warfare, that triumphalism, that's a horrible way to live, and that's not what Christ calls us to at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to consistent things up. Um, most evangelical scholars today, they'll go toward the other one, that it was a short, that we were barbarians, 
that the Lord gave this as a short-term fix. Uh, the problem is that God doesn't say that it's a short-term fix. He mm-hmm. never says this is a little while. So people will use that same language for genocide and eradication mm-hmm. language today, which is problematic. Um, the, which gets you to where you started so long ago, and it seems like an hour, three hours ago in this <laughs> podcast. How long are we in? Uh, 56 minutes. Oh, we're perfect. Sweet spot. That's our sweet spot. Um, with the Malachites are symbolic of our flesh. I brought into the uh, studio with me today. I'm really liking the energy we're creating in the studio today. Um, a wonderful book. It's uh, James Kugel. It's called How to Read the Bible. I held it up so that all of you watching on TV <laughs> could, could see it. Uh, I, I don't agree with all of uh, Kugel's um, hypothesis, but he does some good work here. In fact, uh, I'm going to read some of this. You can see the tracing down of what people have done. So he, he introduces the, the idea. He says, this incident is quite puzzling. That's his introduction. <laughs> I agree. In fact, it seems potentially blasphemous. It implies that Moses' hands had some sort of magical power. But most ancient interpreters could not believe the Bible was suggesting that this had indeed been magic and that it had worked. Elsewhere in the Pentateuch, working magic is strictly forbidden. On reflection, it seemed far more likely that Moses' hands upraised were meant to communicate some symbolic message. So he quotes now Philo, a famous uh, pre-Christ Jewish philosopher kind of person. Moses' hands became by turns very light and very heavy, and whenever they were in the former condition and rose aloft, Israel was strong and distinguished itself by its valor. But whenever his hands were weighed down, the enemy prevailed. Thus, by symbols, God showed that the earth and the lowest regions of the universe were the portion assigned to the one party, and the ethereal, the holiest region, to the other. And that just as heaven holds kingship in the universe and is superior to earth, so this nation would be victorious over its opponents in war. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of triumphalism. That's what I was going to say. Every incident that the Lord brings the Israelites through is to show them that he is in control. He is faithful to get them through it. And, you know, I think this is just another one of those instances to show them that he is God and that he has appointed Moses and, you know, this is what it is. And how often do we need those moments? Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot there. Yeah. Um, You don't get until the Targum, really, which is um, a little later, Babylonian Targum, uh, the idea of prayer. It happened when Moses would raise his hands in prayer, the Israelites would prevail and be victorious. But when he would withhold his hands from prayer, the Amalekites prevailed. Which, if it's prayer, why would he stop? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're losing. Let's lose for a while. <laughs> and then we'll have Tom Brady come back and win the game for <laughs> us, right? Uh, that doesn't make, to me, that makes no sense. Like, somehow Moses stopped praying. Uh, that seems a reach. Then you get uh, around the Christian era. Christians picked up this in a different way. Um, The Spirit, speaking to the heart of Moses, tells him to make a representation of the cross and of him who was to suffer upon it. So Moses kept stretching out his hands, and Israel again began to be victorious. Then, whenever he let them drop, they began to perish. Why? so that they might know that they cannot be saved if they do not hope in Him. 
but it was the for him it's the the actual figure of the cross. So he's mm. holding the staff like this, and he's making a cross. Uh, my favorite quotation is from a Tertullian, who's a, yeah, a couple hundred years after the birth of Christ. Uh, whenever the Lord fought against the devil, that is Amalek, the form of the cross was necessary, the cross by which Jesus was to win victory. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where you landed. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of preachers through the Middle Ages and in early fundamentalism, the war against the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's a battle. You, it's a spiritual battle. Exactly. That's what this is talking about. So what Moses is talking about here is the weariness that we get in fighting the flesh Amalek becomes a symbol of the devil and of the flesh that we fight against, and it is through diligence focused up toward the Lord mm-hmm. that we overcome it. And the up and down was to show that God's in control, mm-hmm. and to show that no matter, you know, the up and down, mm-hmm. it, that God was in complete control of that. These interpreters would go further and emphasize Joshua's role in this, because mm-hmm. Joshua is the same name as Jesus. People reading this in Greek in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century would have seen the exact same name as Jesus in the New Testament. And so Jesus is the one leading the battle uh, down there to help us overcome and win. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty important Mm -hmm. uh, concept. Mm -hmm. This passage is strange. I didn't even get uh, half of what I wanted to get to. Do you guys have anything else to add before we let these poor people wrap up? I was just going to say... and Greg can keep listening. So, um, <laughs> he, we talked about you know Joshua. Five people out there named Greg. I can't stop now. I have to keep. I Why does she this said. woman think that I have to do what she says? It's all the other Gregs. Joshua, you know, when I was reading him here, you just, you know, to be courageous and to have courage. We don't all have that at the beginning. You know, when God calls us to do something, you don't have the courage first and then decide to do it. As we step out of our comfort zones into obedience, then the courage comes, you know. And I just thought about that and thought, gosh, he must have been scared. You know, he's a kid. He has no clue what's going on. And Moses says, you know, he didn't have time to prep for that. Moses just said, you're in charge. Find you men. Tomorrow we'll fight. Moses pretty much pushed him out of his comfort zone. Right. But that's. Yeah, and so the courage comes later. That's a wonderful take on that, Misty, this idea that, you know, Joshua wakes up one day, (laughs) I'm going to go water the cattle. (laughs) You're General Joshua now. Form your army. You know, So he had no time to really, because I'm a thinker, you know. Tell me to do, okay, let me think about it. Let me remember. But, you know, sometimes God, when he says to do it, you, you do it. You don't have time to think about it. You're stepping out in that faith. And, yeah, and then the courage comes. The interesting thing is Joshua, and historically speaking, is known as a great general. Mm-hmm. Um, for years, they've studied his um, techniques. I mean, we read it as theology, but the way he led the conquest, feints, fallbacks, surrounding um, techniques, he's great. Mm-hmm. turns into a great mm-hmm. general. This is his first actual foray into it. Yeah. So if he is a great general, and this is his first, first um, kind of chance at it, how much faith does he have to have too to look at Moses to like he wasn't doing it on his own? Do you know what I mean? Are you ever doing it on your own? No. So I think that's kind of where Joshua's progression of as a leader is um, instrumental to me. I, I bet the, <laughs> I gotta be careful. Joshua's a hero to a lot of people, so he's he's here. He's brought up Moses 
tutors him. Mm-hmm. There's no better way to mentors him mm-hmm. through the process. And then when Moses is about to die, he brings Joshua out, puts his hands on him. Mm-hmm. We would use the term maybe ordains or consecrates him to the task and says, this is your new leader. I'm about to go die. God's going to go bury me <laughs> on the mountain now. Um, and so they go into the promised land. Joshua leads, and he leads well mm-hmm. into the promise, the conquest. He sets things up. He deals with complicated things. But Joshua fails miserably because he doesn't do what was done for him. He doesn't tutor anybody, mm-hmm. and he doesn't appoint anyone as the next leader. In fact, when the mm-hmm. book of Joshua ends, he's like, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You're on your own. See ya. And he turns around and <laughs> rides off. Right? <laughs> it's like, ah, that's, that's, the, that's leadership uh-huh. failure right there. So I... Joshua, I have to be careful because he's so bold and brave early on, but like so many people in the Bible, he fails in the end. Mm-hmm. Good leaders replicate, and they encourage, and they bring up the next generation to take their place, and Joshua did not do for others, for someone else, what was done for him. And the result is the most disastrous moment in all, I think, perhaps all of the history of faith, the book of Judges, mm-hmm. which is a dis- mm. It, it, there's funny stuff in Judges, and there's good stuff, and, but it is horrific, the things that are going on. And when you're called, when God calls you, you're not going to be popular. You're going to have, you're going to lose people, and you're, it's going to, you know, but what do you do? You know, it, there's a high cost for that, and mm. um, you're still, you know, supposed to do what God's calling you to do no matter what. And that's hard, you know, that's tough. It is. It helps us to remind ourselves we're not running for office, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we're not here to win any contests. That's right. You guys are awesome. Anything else, Joni? Anything else, Joni? (laughs) Going once, going twice? (laughs) Give her a few minutes. That's a little too much pressure. (laughs) You guys, I promise you, as soon as we stop recording, she's going to say, but what about? (laughs) But for those of you listening, thank you. Uh, Please like, share, and comment this podcast or podcast. On your favorite social media platform, every click matters. You can also visit our website at fmf.life. We'll be back next week with Bible talk from under the water tower. Bye, guys. Be safe out there. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Stay six feet apart. Only about 10% have had their vaccine, so that means it's still pretty, pretty tough out there. Be careful, okay? Love you guys. See ya. Hey, what about...